to Let's Talk About Books, baby, where we talk with your favorite LGBTQ authors. This is Anita Kelly, and my special guest today is TJ Clune. Hello, TJ. Hi, thank you so much for having me, Anita. I appreciate it. Thank you for being here. It's great to talk with you. I'm so I'm so stoked, TJ. <laughs> me too. That's awesome. <laughs> oh, seriously, yeah, this is great. So, um, first, before we dive in, let's talk about you have a new novel coming out soon, right? I think it's called In the Labs of Puppets. Yeah, that comes out in like two and a half weeks and three weeks now. It's Whoa. getting to be a very, very exciting time. As a matter of fact, I'm I'm kind of on my my slow period right now because in two weeks I go on tour for <laughs> what feels like the next six weeks. Oh my goodness. So just a lot of traveling around to bookstores and signings? Uh, yeah, and... around the world, actually. I'll be going from, from, I'll be doing a tour here in the United States and then parts up into Canada and then I'll be hopping the pond over to the UK. Wow, that's exciting. It's very exciting. Yeah. Yes, it'll be my very first book tour in the UK. So I'm I'm looking forward to that. Oh, fun times. Great. We have listeners in the UK, so hopefully they they hear this and uh catch up with you. Absolutely. All the all the tour stuff is on my website and I know that some of the dates are filling up really really fast, so just make sure if you want to get there that you take a look and get your ticket soon. Nice, nice. And um and can so can you tell us a little bit about in the labs of puppets? Absolutely. In the Lives of Puppets is a, I don't know if I'd go as far as to say retelling. I would say it's a reimagining of Carlo Collodi's The Adventures of Pinocchio. And if you are familiar with Pinocchio only through the Disney version, then you're you're missing an incredible story that is nothing like the Disney version. Mm -hmm. While the Disney version does have some darker moments, um, the story itself that it's based on is 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 so much better it's so much has so many more themes it's the darkness works in it a lot better in fact what a lot of people don't know is that Collodi when he was originally writing the story it was meant it was going to be a serial at the time they would release their stories in newspapers and they would do on a weekly or monthly basis Mm -hmm. and the this was going to be a children's story and his editor came to him after he submitted the first draft and said, you, you can't do this. You, you can't do this to children because in the original draft, Collodi killed Pinocchio. Oh. At the very end, he's hung from a tree. Oh, my. For his hubris, for wanting to be, <laughs> for wanting to be a real boy. Oh. And Collodi took that to heart and changed it to the ending that you see now where everything is sort of happily ever after. And I just, I love the idea of the fairy tales and fables that we know have a, such a darkness to them, but we only know them because of the Disney sheen. Yeah, it's true. Especially in America. So I wanted to take Collodi's work and instead of using puppets, I use robotics, machines. The book follows a, a man named Victor mm-hmm. who lives in the safety and seclusion of a forest mm-hmm. with his father, who is not really a man at all. He's a uh, android named Giovanni. And his two best friends, uh, a Roomba vacuum named Rambo, who is basically uh, the the heart and soul of the book. He he's a golden retriever in in vacuum form, and the other main character in this is Nurse Ratchet, which is a machine. And Nurse Ratchet stands for Nurse Registered Automaton to Care, Heal, Educate, and Drill, and well, she is a bit of a sociopath. That sounds it. <laughs> and yes, and they those three 
characters, including Victor, they form his, they form what is essentially the Jiminy Cricket role in the Disney version or the talking cricket role in Collodi's version. They are aspects of his consciousness, wow. his, his morality. And what happens when the safety and their seclusion of their happy and safe home is ripped away from them when they discover a different kind of machine in the scrapyards near their house and bring it back to life. It reveals a whole history between this machine and Victor's father. And from there, it's this whole adventure out into the world that that Victor has never seen before, and he must journey to save his family. Wow. That sounds exciting. Really? It is. It really is. And what I love about this book is that most know me for fantasy writing. This is, I wouldn't say it's my first foray into science fiction, but this is a mesh of science fiction and fantasy, which is what I love because I pull from so many great science fiction and fantasy pieces. Obviously there's Pinocchio, but there is Mary Shelley's Frankenstein in this. There is Wally. There is, there is iRobot. There is all of this great and wonderful legacy and 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 foundation for me to build upon that I just blatantly said here's what I like and I'll take this and this and this and fashion it into something different fun I know I when you were talking about exactly what I was thinking I was like wow this is like sci-fi and fantasy combined um you know that's that's great it, really it is. is. And it's it's something that, that I want to push the boundaries on a little bit. There's always seemed to be this stringent line between science fiction and fantasy and rules that for each, but rules are made to be broken Absolutely. just to see what could happen. Yeah. And I love uh, that Nurse Ratchet is a sociopath because she really was like the, the real Nurse Ratchet, right? She yes. was a sociopath. Absolutely. And I, I, I love that, especially with, with Rambo and Nurse Ratchet, they have this this duality about them they are the id and the ego oh. they are they are rambo represents hope and 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 bravery and nurse ratchet represents anger and frustration and why can't we just do the things that we want to do in our heads but do them out loud yeah. you know it, she she they they're basically i don't want to go so far as to say they're the angel and the devil on the shoulder but they are on his shoulder and they both have as the novel grows, they both show their own motivations to show that evolution is not just a human thing. Wow. This sounds like a great book club book, actually. Yeah, it really is. It really is. There's, I know there's there's my publishers putting together reader's guides for this because there's a lot to talk about oh, cool. in this book. You can read it as a story if you want, but if you want to delve deeper into it, I, I ask a very fundamental question, and that is, what does it mean to be human? And I love the idea that there could be so many different answers. And we look at it from the, the the point of view of this one human in this book named Victor, who is a queer man who who is growing up safe and sound. And what happens when that whole thing is taken away? What does that look like for a person who's never been in that position before? I want to show that their humanity will blossom no matter what happens. So it has this existential twist to it. It does. There are some very, very uh, serious philosophical debates in the book between certain characters that I won't reveal here, but they are are stuff that I think about a lot. Wow, that is great. That is great, really. Um, I'm going to uh, suggest this to, I'm in a uh, a pride book club. I'm going to suggest this to them. Uh, That's wonderful. The yeah. big thing I would love to show for everybody who's listening to this is I myself am a, an asexual man mm -hmm. and Victor 
the main character of this book mm -hmm. is asexual. He identifies as asexual. It is on page. It is discussed and boundaries by every other character are enforced and respected. And I wanted to see that kind of representation in books because we don't get to see that too often. No, never. I don't think I've ever seen that. Yeah. Yeah. They're there if you know where to look for them. But a lot of times, unfortunately, there are some well-intentioned writers who seem to think that asexuality is something that can be cured. Uh, that, oh, you just haven't met the right sexual partner yet. Oh, look, here you are. Happy ending. You weren't asexual after all. Yeah. That's not how it works. We're yeah. not broken, so we don't need to be fixed. Yeah, true, true, true. Yeah, yeah. Wow. This is great. This is wonderful. And this comes out in two and a half weeks, you say? April 25th. April yep. 25th. All right. Awesome. So, um, TJ, what was your first published work? Um, My first published book was in August of 2011, and that was with an indie publisher, and that was called Bear, Otter, and the Kid, and it was not a fantasy. It was not a, a science fiction anything. It was a family drama, a contemporary family drama, and the very first thing I did after writing this very imperfect book was to Google gay publishers. <laughs> and I found the very first one. I clicked on them and sent them my book. And wouldn't you know, months and months and months later, it came out and did better than anybody thought that it would. And I learned a lot from that book. And that was my first in 2011. Now we're in 2023 and In the Lives of Puppets will be my 30-something book. Wow, that yeah. is unbelievable. I had so many stories to, to, that I wanted to tell very early on in my career. I was exploding with all of this and I still am exploding, but as I've gotten older, I'm now 40 years old. And oh, you old I, man. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I just, I... I'm taking my time and I am finding pleasure in that. I am I am not pushing myself or rushing myself. And I do this full time now. So I'm able to, to put my focus on this when I'm ready to do that. And it's it's wonderful that I've been able to get give myself space and allow myself to take a breath. That's nice that it, it seems like, you know, um publishing. Um, has really changed your life. Um, did you have another career before you became a published author? I guess I did. For uh, I was employed with an insurance company that most of you probably know their lizard commercials very, very well. Ah, yeah. And I was in what was known as the continuing unit. Now, that long story short, it is basically imagine the worst possible car accidents where people die or get seriously injured or heaven forbid you get sued or you're suing someone else because of a terrible accident. Mm -hmm. Hi, I'm the guy you talk to. Uh... <laughs> I'm the one that did that. And I, I was doing that job with this company for 10 years mm -hmm. and I published a book, my very first book in the middle of that in 2011. And I would work 60 hours a week and then come home and write until one or two o'clock in the morning and then do this, get up the next morning and do it all over again. And that, you know, when you want something bad enough, you have to make sacrifices, but good Lord, I do not recommend that to anyone to, to, to kill yourself over something, something that you should, you should be taking pleasure in, that you should be taking time in, that you should be enjoying rather than it feeling like you have to do this. Yeah, that's brutal. Yeah, it is. But granted, you know, I I do have to say that fire that was lit under me was was effective, mm -hmm. and I wouldn't be here where I am without it. Mm -hmm. But um, 
even before I moved up from the indie scene, the indie publishing scene with the indie publishers to my current publisher, Macmillan Mentor, I received the worst compliment that anyone could ever receive, which was when I was told by a higher up at the company that I was very good at insurance. And that is soul crushing. <laughs> Here's something like that said to you when it said in complete and sincere honesty. And you're supposed to be like, wow, thank you so much. And that's what I said out loud. But inside I was like, no, I don't want to be. <laughs> so um, a few months later, I gave my two months notice. And that was in uh, December of 2015. I walked out February of 2016 and then Two years later, got a big, the big publishing deal with Macmillan and Tor, and that's been doing this ever since. That's fantastic. That's like a, that's like a fairy tale come true, right? It is. It is. I am very lucky and very privileged to be where I am at, to have the audience that I have, to tell the type of stories that I wish I could have read when I was a kid. And I understand that. But at the same time, I do work very hard to get here. And I yeah. think that that's something that that a lot of people think that, oh, you're a writer, you write full time. Oh, so you get up in the morning, you write for a couple of hours and then you have the rest of the day to do whatever. No, <laughs> that's not how it works. I am more busy now yeah. probably than I was back then. And, you know, that's okay with me because I'm doing what I love. Yeah, yeah, that's nice. And and so it it's is. not, it doesn't seem like work, right? most days yes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there are some days when when i go away from my computer for a little bit and i come back and oh no i have 400 emails <laughs> uh, yeah that's not a good feeling <laughs> yeah it's all right it's a small price to pay yeah so um tj you have um you mentioned bear otter and the kid and that is mm -hmm. part of um is it the seafair series chronicles yeah that was yeah four books i did the first one in 2011, and then I think the last one came out in 2017. And and you have like quite a number of series, right? Yes. As much as I, this is going to be such a weird, weird thing for me to say, but I hate writing series. What? <laughs> but I do so many of them because when you're writing a new book, nothing else matters. No, you can make any rule you want. You yeah. can do whatever you want. But then... When you write a sequel and you're like, oh, this will be a cool part of the story. Oh, I can't do that because of something I said in the very first book. And trust me, trust me, readers will point out to you if you break your own rules in your own world. I know that for a fact. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. <laughs> and that's awesome. That's so cool to show that people are so invested. Yeah. My 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 Green Creek series, especially, which is getting re-released by my by Torn McMillan uh, starting this year. That has a very fervent, very passionate fan base who have spreadsheets about all the mass, all the major characters with dates of birth and wow. and what their their star sign is and what they like to eat and what they don't and what they're scared of and all of that kind of stuff. And it is intense. <laughs> wow, that is intense. And and tell us about that that series. Is that um that's a fantasy series? It is a fantasy series. It'll be released. The first book, Wolf Song, releases uh, Ju July 4th from Tor and Macmillan in hardcover. And it is a generation spanning saga about a family of supernatural creatures, in this case, werewolves. And it is um, something I never intended to write. As a matter of fact, this first book, Wolf Song, 
it was not going to be about anything supernatural or paranormal at all. It was just going to be about two boys growing up next to each other and their families clashed almost like a Romeo and Juliet kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And, and then I was like maybe 30,000 words into that Mm -hmm. when this stupid little voice in my head said, okay, but what if they were werewolves? (laughs) I said, (laughs) no. And, and then that voice said, yeah, but what if they were werewolves? <laughs> I said, oh, well, fine. And so I started from scratch, made this entire history about this family that 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 just grew and it grew into four books that are that are enormous. This is this is the longest, the longest in total amount of pages and words of a series that I've ever written. And it is like I said, it covers decades wow. in this in this series. And for some reason, this this these characters just clicked like I couldn't believe with readers. And it it's I'm expecting a new wave of traumatized readers when it re-releases. <laughs> that is awesome. So do people actually like because it covers like decades, do they do like genograms of the family members? Oh yeah, absolutely. There's family trees of wow. the characters. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And enough to enough enough hints that I gave that they could plot out like families pre to this, to this one and all that kind of, yeah. Oh, it's intense. It's, I mean, there are, I have had more people out of any books I've written come to me with these characters and these books and say, here's my favorite line from the book. Please write it in your handwriting so I can get it tattooed on my body. Oh my goodness. And, And I have to warn them every single time that I have the worst handwriting in the world. <laughs> so if you want my gross chicken scratch on your body, that's okay. But I would not be offended in the slightest if you got the tattoo artist to do a beautiful, lovely thing with my words. I have not had a single person do that. Everyone has gotten my really gross handwriting on tattooed onto their body from these books. Wow, that is amazing. That's quite a fan base. That is, they they are passionate yeah. and fierce and ravenous. So so much so that I actually finished the series in 2018, and or 2019, and um, to help celebrate the re-release of the books, I actually wrote a new story that crosses all four books that's included in a special edition that people are already losing their minds over. So I'm very happy about that. That's so cool. Have, <laughs> have you is. thought it's about, very cool. like, you know how in the beginning of, of some books, they'll have like a map or something of, you know, like their historical travels. Have you ever yeah. thought of putting like an ancestry tree in the beginning? of? The oh, may- maybe if I go back to this series with the prequel series that I've been saying I was going to write for a long time, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll do it then. We'll see. We'll okay. see what happens. Okay. All right. So when you first wrote Wolf Song, did you intend it to be a series or was it just going to be like a standalone? I did. I, 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 I knew that if I put this one book out, and just introduced a bunch of characters and if people like the characters then okay i could do more with them but if this story if for whatever reason for god forbid this story didn't click with people didn't hit well i told a complete story in this book so what i love about wolf song is it can stand alone yeah. yes you won't get to see what happens to the the other characters who take over the story each each book follows a different character But if you just read the one book, it would stand alone on its own. But you would be missing 
so much <laughs> in this okay. series. It just gets more and more intense as it goes on. And and tell us about is it Tales from Barania? <laughs> <laughs> yes, Tales from Barania. It is a six book series that is me wanting to write the most ridiculous and over the top thing that I could think of, never intending to have it published. The first book, The Lightning Struck Heart, was just meant as a, a ridiculous writing exercise. Yeah. But I had so much fun with these characters that I wrote one book and then that book exploded for some reason. And then oh. so I wrote five more. That's so <laughs> wonderful. It is. Um, if you want to know about this series, it is very adult. Uh-huh. And it I can describe it in what 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 my, the readers and I have decided is the best two two word description so people know what they're getting into. Okay. This fantasy series is erotic Shrek. Okay. <laughs> erotic Trek. No, erotic Shrek. Oh, Shrek. As in Shrek, oh, the ogre. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. That's really descriptive, though. It is, yeah. right? That's... You know the Shrek movies, and yeah. then you think, okay, what if like a fantasy world like that existed, but it was for adults? Yeah. And that's what I wrote. How about that? All right. All right. And by the way, I just want to say all of these books that I'm talking about, uh-huh. every single one is queer. Every main character in every book I write is queer. That's awesome. We love that. We love that. Absolutely. Because we need our stories told now more than ever. Definitely. Definitely. So I want to tell you, I became acquainted with your work uh, through The House in the Cerulean Sea. Mm -hmm. And I absolutely loved it. And it was actually, um, we started a, a queer book club at work. And it was the first book we read for the book club. And that's awesome. We had such a great discussion. Uh, we could have just kept going. Um, but I love the book. It really turned me on to your work. Um, one of my colleagues has read, like, since then, has read, I don't know how many of your books. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. That's how it works. You get one and then they can be like, you know, I think that's one of the great things about reading or discovering a new author. My favorite thing in the world when it comes to reading is when you find an author, when you pick up their book, you've never read them before. And it's like, oh, my God, I really love this. Do they have any other books? And then you get to go see they have a lot. That is wonderful when mm-hmm. that happens. On the flip side of that, when you find a favorite author, and then you say, oh, no, they have only this one book. Whatever will I do with my life now? I know. I know. So I, so I hook right. them in. I hook them in and be like, guess what? I pretty much wrote everything you could think of. So here you go. Yeah, it's uh, it's great. And and um, I, I I'm not really a, a fantasy reader, you know, mm-hmm. um, but I just love this. It had. I would say so many kind of I want to say Harry Potterish qualities to it. Um, yeah, except not transphobic. Yeah, and that's yes. how it, that's amazing, isn't it? it, it isn't it amazing was. that we can write kind, happy fantasies where people, good people, do good things in the face of bad things, and you don't have to be transphobic. Yes. <laughs> yes. That's how that works. It was just it was just like a wonderful community that they built, and you know, it's just. Fantastic. Yeah, that the house in the Cerulean Sea was my first book that came out with my new with my no, I keep saying new publisher, but I've been with him for years now. But my new ish publisher, Torin McMillan, and that it changed my life. 
in in ways that I'm still not able to understand. I mean, just recently we got to announce that House in the Cerulean Sea uh, on the third anniversary of the book when it came out last March. Uh, we got to announce it just sold it sold over a million copies. Wow! And that is extraordinary to me that that especially when it because it came out on March seventeenth, twenty twenty. So you oh. can imagine what the world was like. If you need reminding, that was the week the pandemic exploded that in is. the United States. Yes. So here I am saying, I know everything is scary and everything is, is frightening and we don't know what's going on, but would you like to read a book about the kindness and the antichrist? Yeah. <laughs> because that's what this is. And I don't know, it, this book has had the longest tail of any book I've, I've ever written and more and more people are discovering it every day. And I'm just so happy that people can escape to this island, at least for a little bit and read about a place where good people fight for what's right. Yes, it is. That's what it is. It's, it's like they, they are just such kind hearted people. They look for the good in everyone and they see the good in everyone. Mm -hmm. Um, And even the people who disagree with them, even the people who are actively fighting against them, it's the reminder that no matter who we are, we're all still people at the same time, you can't let those people walk all over you. You have to be able to stand up for yourself. Yeah, yeah. You have to. Yep. I love it. I love it. And and it was on the New York Times bestselling list, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. For like nine nine weeks, 10 weeks, something like that. that it's is... just extraordinary. Yeah. yeah. And then that, then, and then I just, I don't know. It just, it's, it's such an honor to be able to have that. So, so. What does that feel like? What does that feel like to, to, you know, be a published author? And, and has that changed your life? Like to know that, you know, you're on the, the bestsellers list and, and you've sold over 1 million copies. And, you know, I mean, that's, quite you know, an accomplishment. It, I don't, it, it is. And I don't want to, to lessen that in any way, shape or form, because again, I am extraordinarily privileged to be in the position that I'm in. I am very lucky. Chances are it's more luck than talent <laughs> than uh, where I am. But, I you know, doubt that. It's fine. But here, here's the thing. Bestseller lists, awards, recognition, all of that is all well and good. And yes, it's amazing that that gets to happen for for books that I write, the books that I wish I could have had when I was a kid. But at the end of the day, it does not change anything about how I write. I'm going to continue writing the same exact stories I would have written had nobody read The House in the Soyan Sea or Under the Whispering Door or In the Lives of Puppets when it comes out. I would still be writing these same exact stories because these stories need to be told. Mm-hmm. Yes, now, did, now I'm going to acknowledge that did getting bestseller list stuff opened doors for me absolutely mm-hmm. it absolutely did and to say otherwise would not be correct mm-hmm. but at the same time i want to use that to leverage the point of these stories is that we need the t- for i can speak only for the queer community i am a white dude so i want to make sure that i'm being very clear with what i'm saying here mm-hmm. but that the queer community and marginalized people at large mm-hmm. deserve to have their stories told with kindness, with grace, with knowledge and empathy that we want to see ourselves as the heroes of our own stories. We never, we did not get that. For so many of us, we did not get to see ourselves be the heroes of our own story. It was always someone else's story. And if we were there, we were over-the-top offensive caricatures. We were there to teach straight people a very valuable lesson. 
by getting hurt or getting sick or getting killed. Why can't we have the stories where queer people from all walks of life go through a journey together and find peace, love, and acceptance, and above all, family? That is something, and the family that's not even related by blood. It's the family of the people you choose to build your community with. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something that we deserve to see. Now, does that mean we shouldn't still see messy gays or evil gays or villain queer people in books? Absolutely not. More the better. We should have everything across the spectrum as long as it's being done from a place that isn't about bigotry. Yes. That's what it should be about. No, agreed. Very much so. Yeah. That's, that's really well said uh thank you you know coming from an author i mean i would hope so (laughs) (laughs) right (laughs) so so out of all your books tj what are you most proud of which book that's a tough Uh, question it's a book it's a book called no i already know the answer (laughs) it's a book i wrote in 2015 it's called how to be a normal person and this book is not a fantasy it is not um, a, a science fiction book. It is a contemporary romantic comedy about a guy named Gus who works at a video store and he becomes very, very perplexed and disgruntled and, uh, curious about the asexual hipster that started working at the coffee shop next door. Oh, wow. And this book is, is my love letter to the asexual community because the the book title how to be a normal normal person isn't coming from the asexual person Mm. this is gus looking up on the internet how to be a normal normal person because he wants to figure out how to be friends with this person casey and i wrote this book as my way of coming out myself as asexual this book was was me figuring out myself and then when this book came out, before it released, I put up a big post on my website about here's why this book is important to me. Then the book came out. And even today, I still get letters and emails and messages from people who have read this book and found themselves in characters like Gus and Casey. And it helped them come to, I don't want to say terms because that sounds like a bad thing, but it helped them accept that they are asexual. Mm-hmm. And it is, there's nothing nothing more profound than hearing from someone that your words have that effect on them oh, yeah. because words have such tremendous power they can heal they can hurt they can start religions and wars they can do untold damage yeah. but when you get to see yourself in a book or a, see something that you thought never thought for yourself i can't tell you how many people that read that book that came to me that said they never heard the word asexual before really they didn't know what that was oh. so if if I can entertain yeah. and and educate, but it disguise that as entertainment, yeah. then I'm all for it. You know, yeah. again, I, I don't want to keep harping on this, but we all deserve to see ourselves in the books that we that we read. Absolutely. Absolutely. That is great, really. Um and and what a really what a tribute, right? Um yeah, I mean it, it's 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 what I wanted people to understand that there's there's no wrong way to be you can be whoever you are and and you will find people that accept that yeah yeah that's great that's great i'm gonna check that one out too (laughs) (laughs) thank you so you know um as you're talking and describing some of your books like it's it's very obvious that 
you have quite an imagination um <laughs> and and have you always been that way and and were you always aware of this talent and you know even as a kid did did people encourage that or did they no they did not oh. and this is so here's what here i have always loved reading I read, I've all, and this is not to sound like I'm bragging, but I've, I've always read above my age level when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. Like I would be in, in fifth grade, I started reading Stephen King for the first time. But then if you were a child of the seventies, eighties and nineties, chances are you read Stephen King far before you were supposed to. Oh yeah. <laughs> and, um, what's so funny today is I, you can, you talk to people of, of a certain age and generations and you say that and they're like, Oh yeah, absolutely. I understand. But when you talk to younger people, they're like, what? I know. <laughs> what I, is it? No. I remember right? reading the exorcist. Like, yeah. Peter Blatty. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And I read that at 13. Yeah, yeah. I know. And my parents were clueless. Like, you know, yeah. they didn't know. I was oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. But so I, I loved reading and that transformed into wanting to write my own stories. And when I was like six or seven, I started carrying around this notebook with me that I would fill with whatever story entered my head, oh. anything. It could be about me and a character in a video game I was playing. It could be a, a story about just what happened during my day, but fictionized. It could be anything, but I never told anyone about that because it was something that could be taken away. Yeah. And that would, if something brought me happiness, it was something that could be taken away from me in the house that I grew up in. Oh. And uh, I had my, I had my mother and my stepfather who made fun of me for reading, who did not like the fact that they had an effeminate queer son, even though he was not out or anything like that. Right. They did not like the fact that I had ADHD, even though they refused to go get me tested for it. I had to do that on my own after I got old enough. And so imagine being in a household like that yeah. and finding moments of joy, but having to hide them. Yeah. So it was not until seventh grade when I met two women who changed my life forever. They were my English teachers, Mrs. Benson, and Mrs. Pfeiffer. Aww. One day they had us an assignment for us. They told us to take a memory we had and to turn it into fiction. I cannot remember what story I told or what, what story I wrote, but I do remember is that that was the day that I learned that my teachers were evil. And I learned my teachers were evil because instead of taking our stories home and grading them. They're like normal teachers. What I thought they gave us busy work and began to grade them right in front of us. And so, you know, me being the twitchy, you know, un unable to stop moving kid that I was, yeah. all I could see as I sunk lower and lower in my seat was my new kids on the block folder getting higher and higher up oh. in the pile. <laughs> and then it was finally my turn or her turn to read my story. Oh no. And I was just, I was a mess. And then Mrs. Bentz started reading and she started chuckling. And then she started laughing louder and louder. She started laughing so loud that Mrs. Pfeiffer came over to see what was so funny. And they read, they started from the beginning and read the story together. And by the time they were done, they were both laughing so hard they were crying. And oh. that was the very first time I understood the power of the written word, that it could do that to someone else that, is... that it can make them feel like that and in my very last class with them mm -hmm. they told me one day they would see my name on a book in a bookstore Aww. i am here because of those two women they Aww. were the first people who ever believed in me 
and gave me the opportunity and the chance to use my imagination in the way that I wanted to. Hey, and shout out to Mrs. Benson and Mrs. Pfeiffer. They are, yeah, teachers everywhere. You know, it, you hear stories all the time of teachers, you know, making a difference in their kids' lives. I'm proof positive of that. Yeah. I am, I would not be here without them. Yep. Yep. It's so wonderful to hear those stories because teachers can have such a tremendous impact on on kids and 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 today especially in the culture and climate that we are living in in this country where teachers are unfairly the front of a culture war that they should not be having to fight we should be we should be lauding them from the rooftops just like we did in the pandemic with all the frontline workers we should be doing that with teachers every single day now because of what they have to put up with yep yep it's unbelievable that they are put in that position um, yeah, absolutely. It's it's infuriating. Yeah, it is. It is. I know. I I have a niece who is a a teacher, and just uh, knowing what she goes through and and how she, you know, has to purchase everything out of pocket that she wants for her yeah. classroom, it's unbelievable. It, it, and and then and then they have to deal with people coming in and saying you are showing pornography to my children when it's a book that's been. I mean, yeah. Let me put it this way: when you are trying to remove an author like Toni Morrison from your school, you have a problem. There is a deep-seated, poisonous problem. And that is just horrifying to me that that's what's going on and that these teachers are fighting to protect the rights of their students to be able to have their minds expanded. (laughs) It's insane to me. It's insane. I know. And they have to be fearful you know yeah they Um, absolutely because any wrong thing you don't know who you're going to run afoul of exactly exactly it's really uh uh, scary but um but we continue to do what we do because it's important for us to be able to tell our stories and to fight for the the people coming up after us that's That's why it's so important to tell our stories like we do absolutely it is absolutely and thank you for doing it it's it's it is (laughs) i get yeah absolutely I, i get that thank you so, TJ, what does literary success look like to you? Oh, man. I think for me, it means that I get to, you know, they they say you, you, you do something you love, you'll never work a day in your life. And I, I get that. Mm-hmm. I do. I'm very lucky to get that. And I, I absolutely get that. To me, success is not about accolades awards even though those are nice Mm -hmm. it's not about you know all the extra stuff that comes with it it's not about what happens next or any of that to me it's about the fact that i know somewhere there is a queer kid that was just like me Mm -hmm. living in a rural area not having the access to the wide world of this this place that can exist for them a queer world where they get to be happy and free to be who they are and i want them to be able to pick up my book and say you know what there's hope Mm -hmm. that's what success to me looks like nice nice that that is successful that that really is i hope i hope so and you know from the amount of people i've talked to i I think i'm doing okay so far yeah i would say so (laughs) But it's, it, it does, I'll tell you, it doesn't matter if I hear it for the first time or the last time I heard it. When somebody tells you that your book helped you, it's just like the first time yeah. you hear it. Yep. It is profound. It is humbling. It's a little disturbing because you're like, are you sure you want that me to be the one to help you? <laughs> but at the same time, it is an honor that I have, I, I couldn't have imagined in my wildest dreams. Yeah. Yep. It is. 
it is it's it's powerful as you said right the written word is powerful absolutely um so so speaking of success tj um you have a lambda literary award i'm told yes so what was that for that was for um my novel into this river i drown which came out in 2000 that novel is 10 years old this year that wow. came out in 2013 and it won the Lambda Literary Award in 2014. I unfortunately, you know, could not be there for the event. Um, but so I, uh, all I, I got the news just later on and it was, it's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful to be recognized by uh, a queer committee mm -hmm. and, and, and have that book do what it did. That book was, um, that book was the first time I tried to experiment with my writing. I tried to do something. I, I, you know, in in retrospect, now I tried too hard to be Faulkner in that book. I think, okay. but um, that book was dark and heavy. We had I just released in twenty twenty one a book called Under the Whispering Door, which is about grief. Okay, and that in two thousand thirteen, I released in into this river i drown which is also a book about grief but into this river i drown is a book about anger grief and and what that does to a person and what what that leads to a point of obsession mm -hmm. to find out why something happened and under the whispering door was about the softer side of grief about how we all experience it no matter who we are and it, it, you know i wrote the first one as as uh me reconciling with the loss of my father into this river I drown. And I wrote under the whispering door as, as me trying to understand my grief over losing my partner. Mm -hmm. And these two books, they kind of bookend each other and they show to me, at least, if you were to read into this river I drown and then under the whispering door, you can see my, my views on grief and what it does to a person. Unfortunately, TJ and I experienced some technical difficulties in the end of this interview, so he was unable to say goodbye on the podcast. I want to thank TJ Kloon for such a great chat and congratulate him on the success that his newly released book, In the Lives of Puppets, is receiving. So that's a wrap on another episode of Let's Talk About Books, baby. Thanks for joining us. And until next time, may your journey be lighthearted, peace be plenty, and stay safe, folks.